righteous in his holiness. Do you realize how different you are than God? We may recognize our sinfulness. I think if we're honest, we know no one's perfect. But there is so much more to the difference between us as sinners and a holy God than just saying, well, we're all sinners. Because God doesn't compare us to us all. It's not just, oh yeah, we're all sinners and so, you know, God's grading on a curve. You know, we're basically kind of all in the same boat. No, God doesn't compare us to one another. We are compared to him. The flawed are judged by the flawless. And when we recognize that, we with Isaiah will say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When we see the King, the Lord of hosts, it changes how we view ourselves. So here he is, Isaiah, exposed in his flawed state before the flawless, holy God. And how does this holy, holy, holy God respond to this worthless sinner before him? He sins one of these seraphim, but he doesn't send the seraph to smite Isaiah. He sends the seraph to the altar. He sends the seraph to the altar. One of the seraphim, verse 6, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. What is the altar? We have this image here of the temple. The train of the robe was filling the temple. God's high and lifted up. And the altar was part of the whole complex of the temple. Well, the, the altar was a place where you burn stuff. It's a place of fire. That fire never went out. It was always burning. It represented the fire of God's judgment. His punishment for sin. But in God's grace, the reason he built the altar with the fire that represented his, his judgment, his fire and wrath against sin, the reason he built that altar was not as a place to execute sinners and give them the punishment they deserve. By God's grace, the altar was a place of sacrifice. The altar was a place where you put a substitute. Yes, it was a place where one would bear the sins into the fire and receive punishment. But by God's grace, it was a place where the sins were placed on the head of a substitute. And the substitute was put in the fire so that the guilty one could go free. And God sees Isaiah in his sinfulness, his impurity, his flawed state. And he sends his seraph to the altar where God makes atonement for Isaiah's sin. The seraph comes, and in verse 7, he touches his mouth 
these unclean lips that aren't worthy to be in the presence of the holy, holy God. And he says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. We have to understand that God does not look at Isaiah and his sinfulness and say, eh, no big deal. Sin before a holy God is a massive deal. It's a huge deal. It's as big of a deal as the never-ending fire of the wrath of God on the altar. That's how seriously God takes sin. But the reason why he can say your guilt is taken away is not because he dismisses Isaiah's guilt. It's because he atones for Isaiah's guilt. He pays the debt that Isaiah owes with a substitute. At the place of sacrifice. The altar. What Isaiah needed was a substitute. Isaiah deserved for himself to go into the fire of God's wrath and receive the punishment for sin. What he needed was the gracious atonement, the gracious covering of God to forgive him of his sin, to cleanse him of his impurity, to wash him clean, to wash him white. What Isaiah needed is what his whole nation needed. His whole nation was a nation of of people who, who, instead of turning from sin or instead of taking their sin to the altar and dealing with it and being reconciled to God, they were indulging in their sin. They were living for that which deserved to be burned in the altar. They were living for that which deserved to be punished by a holy God. And what they needed and what Isaiah needed was the gracious atonement of God. They needed someone else to pay the debt that they owed. They needed someone else to die in their place. And God is showing Isaiah that he is going to provide the very thing that they need. A substitute to atone for their sins. And what this moment of atonement points us to is the final sacrifice that was made on the heavenly altar. Would you turn with me the New Testament book of Hebrews in chapter 9. The altar was a place where sacrifices were made continually. People would sin. They had guilt on them. But the Lord made a way for them to take the guilt that was on them, place it on a spotless, flawless substitute. And that substitute would take the punishment that they, the people, deserved for their sin. This happened over and over and over and over and over and over again. But look with me at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent. Not made with hands that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. But by the means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more 
will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Our hope as sinners before a holy God is not that we are good enough. No one is good enough to enter into the presence of the holy God. Our hope is also not that God will just dismiss our sin as if he doesn't really take it that seriously. No, God takes sin as serious as death. Our only hope, our only hope to approach God is Christ Jesus, the perfect substitute. Our only hope is if our sin and our guilt and our punishment is placed on Jesus, who is fully God, who became fully man to be the perfect substitute for sinful human beings. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He died a death that we deserved to die. So that if we would turn from sin and trust in Jesus, the spotless lamb, we can have his record of flawless perfection applied to us. And we can have our flaws and impurity and sin and guilt taken away, removed, paid in full. And until we realize how holy God is and how different we are than him, we will not understand the magnitude of the grace of God that he would make atonement for sinners like us. But the more that we realize just how holy God is, the more we realize just how impure and separate we are from God, the more we will understand the magnitude of God's grace in Christ. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You need to know that just like Isaiah, because of what Jesus did for you, your guilt can be taken away. Your sin can be atoned for through his perfect sacrifice. God is holy. We are sinners. What we've just seen is that God is gracious. God is holy. We are sinners. God is gracious. So then how do we respond to such grace? How does Isaiah, who saw God in his holiness, who saw his sinfulness, who was given amazing grace that he can't even comprehend, how does Isaiah respond? Well, look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. God is holy, we are sinners, God is gracious, and we are sent. 
S-E-N-T. We are sent. Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he stands at attention. He is ready to receive whatever this amazing, gracious God would tell him to do. Because Isaiah's guilt was taken away, but his reverence before this holy God was not taken away. No, he had greater reverence for God after seeing his grace than he did when he saw him in his holiness. And what we see in this moment is that our response should be the same. If we recognize how holy God is and how sinful we are, and if we have received the grace of this God, our response should be, here am I, send me, whatever, whenever, to whomever, for however long, I am yours. This is why it is so important to have a right view of God and a right view of self because it changes everything about our lives. If we have a right view of God, if we recognize our sinfulness, if we recognize the massive grace of God in Christ, we will live our whole life for this great God. See, if, if we only view God as holy and not gracious, it leads to a life of fear and guilt. If we only view God as gracious and not holy, we'll live careless of God. We'll live for self. But if we see how holy God is, how sinful we are, how massive his grace is, we will be driven to good works. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So ask yourself, are you living in fear of God? Are you afraid to approach him? Are you feeling the weight of guilt? Well, it's not because... You view God wrong. He is holy. It's not because you view yourself wrong. He is, or we are sinners. But it might be that you don't really comprehend just how amazing God's grace is in Christ Jesus. And just how complete the atonement is that he can make for your sins. Are you lukewarm in your worship of God? Are you careless before God? Do you live for yourself without much regard to who God is or what he cares about your life? Well, it might be because you think of God as gracious, but you don't know the profound holiness of God. And his grace to you might be just a, a cheap thing because you don't recognize just how sinful you are before a holy God. But again, if we see God rightly, it changes everything because what comes into our minds is the most important thing about us and what we've seen in this passage today is the most important thing that god wants us to see about himself is that he is holy 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 and if we start there 
everything starts to line up. If we get that right, we'll recognize just how sinful we are before God, and we will begin to appreciate just how great His grace is, and we will respond like Isaiah with a heart and a life of worship that says, Here am I. Send me. Let's pray together. God, you are holy, holy, holy. And we are sinners before you. But Lord, how amazing is your grace that you would make a way to pay for the sins of people like me that are impure and filthy and undone and ruined in the sight of a holy God. Lord, I pray that we would all recognize how mind-blowingly huge your grace is in Christ Jesus. That you would send him to die for us while we were still sinners. And Lord, may our appreciation for that erupt in songs of worship to you, the holy, holy Holy God, who is, yes, mighty, but also so merciful. God, we love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and respond to the word of God. Thank you.